Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Hills. My name is David, one of the ministers here, and I just, uh, I'm, a sl- I'm, I'm, I'm still rocked by that image of Ryan Young in that bunny suit. I think we need to take up a special offering to be able to pay for that thing. How much material went into that? That's amazing. Uh, I just want to start by saying I hope you've had a great Thanksgiving season. Uh, I am thankful to be a part of this church. I'm thankful to be standing here before you. I'm thankful to Rick that uh, he allowed me to preach this morning. Uh, I'm thankful to just be in community with you and that you are part of my family and that I get to raise my family here. I've got an 11-year-old little girl and she's been raised in this church her whole life and that's an incredible blessing to us and I just love, I love this place. I love you guys. I love all of you that have joined us online in our online campus and um, it's from that place that I want to hopefully challenge you today, uh, maybe motivate you today, asking the, the Spirit to move in you today, that you might live a little bit differently even as you leave here today. So know that that is my heart. If you've got your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to John 14, and I'm going to be in verse 16. If you're not familiar with, with the Bible much, there's, a, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. In the New Testament, the first four books are the Gospels. They're the biographical accounts of Jesus's life. John is the fourth one of those. And I'm going to be in John 14 at a, at a time when Jesus has just told his closest followers that he's about to leave them, that he's about to go away. And they're distraught and they're confused and they're not certain about what's going on. And they're like, what do you mean? We thought you were coming to establish a kingdom. That doesn't mean that you should leave. And this is what John 14 verses 16 and 17 say. It says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate. Interesting word there, another. There's two options there in the original text of the Greek language. One means another of a different kind. Or another of the same kind. What what do I mean? So if I gave you an apple, and then I gave you another fruit, but I gave you another of a different kind, I would give you you an orange. And you can't compare the two because it's like comparing apples and oranges, right? But if I gave you an apple, and then I gave you another of the same kind, I gave you another apple, that's the word that's used here. Another advocate. Different, but the same. Who will never leave you. If you've got your Bible, would you underline or circle the word never? Church, we need to live out of the assuredness that his spirit will never leave us. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Go ahead and underline or circle the word in. And think about what that means relationally. Think about the intimacy that comes from the Holy Spirit coming and living inside of you and what that relationship, the the potential and the capacity for all of that to be. And yet if we're honest, is that really a relationship that we look to develop and that we look to grow? 
I'll be transparent for a moment. It was back in 2007. I had an opportunity to go to Sudan on a mission trip, and we were going there. This was before southern Sudan, but separated from, from the north, and it was when the Darfur atrocities were going on, and all of these people were being displaced within their own country. And we were going to scout out the land to see if we were going to be able to send missionaries there. And today, in fact, you, because of your generosity, we send more than one family into that country to be able to talk about the news of Jesus. And on this trip, we also wanted to do a medical clinic. And it was all going well until one day as we came across what they would call a road, we would call just a beaten down path. There were these two young boys, probably about six and four, that were laying there lifelessly on this road, hardly moving at all, and their parents begging us to help. And so we ran and we got the doctor real quick and we said, hey, we need some help. There's something serious that's going on. He comes out, he examines the boys and and very quickly says, there's nothing that we can do. These boys have dengue fever. It's beyond what our capabilities are that we have here, and they're going to die tonight. That's not what we were looking for. That's not what we were hoping for. And as soon as he walked off, somebody in our group said, well, let's go to the great physician. Let's go to the Holy Spirit and ask him to move. And all of a sudden they begin praying with a level of intimacy and a level of knowing and a level of confidence that I had never experienced before in my life. And I was praying at the same time, but my prayers I would not say out loud. And my prayers went something like this, Lord, please don't let my unbelief get in the way of the miracle that you want to work here. Please don't let my doubt, my uncertainty, my insecurities in who you are be an obstacle for the miracle that you want to work in these young boys' lives. And I was praying that over and over and over. And then we said amen, opened our eyes, and nothing had happened. And we walked off distraught, went to sleep that night, down, woke up the next morning. The doctor says, hey, you need to go in that camp. You need to find that family. They had come to us. We didn't know where they were. So we went into the camp to try to bring some sense of peace and to try to console the parents And it's amazing that in an impoverished environment, there's even different levels of poverty. And as we worked further and further and further on the outskirts of this camp, the structures got more and more feeble, and it was just a bad situation. We finally walk up on this hut, and that's an overstatement to call it a hut, but it's some twigs that have kind of been pulled together, and there's this doorway that had this soiled sheet as a doorway, as a door. And as we came walking up and just trying to figure out what is it that we're going to say to these families? What is it we're going to say to these parents? How are we going to help them? All of a sudden, these two boys come running out of the hut, perfectly healthy, perfectly able, <laughs> laughing and smiling and giving us high fives and giving us hugs and everything else and being the spiritual giant that I was and that I still am. And I say that with a lot of sarcasm. Well, the doc must have gotten that situation wrong. I mean, this was just yesterday. They just needed to sleep it off. Something was going on. And I'm glad to hear you moan as I say that. But that was the truth of where I was. Until I turned around. And I turned around and I looked throughout this entire camp that we had just walked through. And everywhere that you could see, there were parents that were flooding towards us. And they were holding their kids in their arms. And they were coming up to us and they were saying, would you please pray for my child like you prayed for theirs? Would you please bless my child like you blessed theirs? And child after child after child, we had an opportunity to pray for. And at the end of that, 
I found myself in a very uncomfortable situation because here I was as a believer in Jesus and yet a doubter in what his spirit could do. In the presence of unbelievers of Jesus who had all the confidence in the world of what his spirit could do. And I got to tell you, church, in that moment, the Lord was convicting me that I didn't want to live that way anymore. If you turn to Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, it says the following. It says, even before he made the world, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And don't miss this. And it gave him great pleasure. You see, we believe in a God who exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They are co-equals, they coexist, and out of their perfect unity, out of their perfect love, they decided to make us in their image. Because he wants to be in a relationship with us. And if we're going to be in a relationship with God, that means we're going to be in a relationship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if it'll ever look perfectly like a third, a third, and a third, but it certainly shouldn't look like 49, 49, and two. And the two is an overstatement, if I'm being honest. There's so much more that he wants for us. There's so much more that he's offering us. Because if you have confidence in the Father and the Son, but not a whole lot to do with the Spirit, it can leave you in a place where you're confident of where you came from and you're confident of where you're going. I trust that when I die that I'm going to be with Jesus forever. I have all the confidence in the world in that. And yet, I don't know if I have confidence that he's going to take care of today. I don't know that I'm going to have confidence that he's going to take care of tomorrow. Yeah, I trust you for eternity, but Lord, I don't trust you today in my marriage when my marriage needs to be different. And I'm not just talking about my spouse, but I'm talking about me and how I could be different. And yet I brought it to you time and time again, and yet I continue to make the same mistakes over and over. How can I trust you for tomorrow when I don't even know that I can make it to my next paycheck? Because I live paycheck to paycheck, and I'm trying to get food on the table and a roof over our head and keeping utilities on. Or maybe you're in charge of payroll and you know what the finances of the company look like and you don't know how in the world you're going to cover payroll and where are the funds going to come from that. Or yeah, Lord, I trust you for eternity, but yet I've been separated from my loved ones because of death. And we think about, oh, death, where is your sting? And each and every day I experience that sting because of loneliness and how in the world am I ever going to make it to the time that I'm not only meet you but reunited with my loved ones. And I just believe that when we're in a place where we develop a relationship with the Father, who's where? On his throne. Isaiah 6 tells us that. Daniel 7 tells us that. Revelation 5 says that. They see the throne and the Lord sitting on that. And the Son, yes, he came, but then he left. And where is he? He's seated at his right hand. How am I supposed to have this intimate relationship with him if it's long distance? Because there's all these other things that are competing. There's all these other things that are distracting. And it's because we don't lean into the intimacy of the person of God that's available to us that lives inside of us. You remember this summer when Taylor did that series called Self-Portraits? 
he put up this graph and talked about the Western church and it's kind of made up of three camps, the theological camp, the missional camp, and the charismatic. Theological, you know, love God's word, commentary writers come out of that. You know, it kind of aligns with God the Father. Missional church is about the mission, about spreading uh, the good news, the great commission, leaning into Jesus. It's kind of the missional component of it. But the charismatic is also about a relationship with the Spirit and leaning into that. And then he threw up this slide that I loved and said, but the Hills Church, the vision of the Hills Church is it would be a convergence of all three. As you're sitting there trying to figure out which one are we, what, are we, what does it look like? And then we throw this up and you find that all three can overlap. And that's where we should be because that's what a relationship with God looks like. What we talk about, but there's these, these things in for a relationship. There's got to be tangible things, things that we can hold on to, things that we can see, things that give us confidence. You know, when it comes to God the Father, Romans 1, 19 through 20 says the following. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. Listen to this. They can clearly see his invisible qualities. I love that. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. We look around and we see each other and we know that we're made in the image of God. We have all this evidence of who God is and things that he's done, and it gives us great confidence where we came from because of that. And I would say the Father is attributed to that. Turn to Romans 1, 3, and 4. It says the following, The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. We know historically that Jesus existed. We know through Scripture that he always has. He is the great I Am. We know that. We know that if we examine the evidence for the resurrection, that the most reasonable and logical conclusion is that Jesus did in fact live, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. And because of that, we have great confidence about our future. Again, we have these things to hold on to relationally that tell us where we came from, but also give us confidence about where we're going. And by the way, if you're here today and you're searching and seeking and you haven't yet decided what it is that you think about Jesus. A quick side note, and not really a side note, it's actually the the greatest note of this whole symphony that's known as Christianity. I want you to know that you have a heavenly father who loves you so much that he demonstrates this by sending his son to die for you while you were still making mistakes, while you were still sinning. And regardless of whatever it is that you've done, what Jesus has done at the cross is more powerful than that. And I know that you may have been told over and over from church or church people or Christendom or whatever that looks like that says, man, you need to get your life in order and you need to clean it up and then you need to come to God and he'll make everything right. And that is not good news. What is good news is that regardless of where you are, you are to come to God. Your mistakes haven't disqualified you from the gospel. They've, in fact, qualified you for a need to have a Savior. And Jesus said that I have paid for all of your sins, and that work is finished. And you're going to have an opportunity at the end of the service. We're going to offer baptism to you that if you believe Jesus is the Son of God and you believe that you're a sinner and you need help and you're ready to respond to that, you can come forward and you can be baptized. But it's so much more than just a relationship with Jesus. 
But it's also a relationship with his spirit. Because one of the gifts that you get when you become a follower is the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. And the benefits of that are innumerable. But I'll list a couple this morning. Holy Spirit in us gives us comfort. Holy Spirit in us gives us comfort. When I think about comfort, I need to be comforted for what my past looks like. And maybe it's because of the things that were done, for me, done to me. But more than likely, it's about the poor decisions that I've made. Acts 9.31 says the following. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. It multiplied. The Holy Spirit comes to comfort us, to remind us that we've been made new. We're not defined by our past. We're not defined by our mistakes. And in that, he wants to use us to help his church grow. We're not to come so that we can sit in holy huddles and go, hey, I hope everything's going to go okay till Jesus calls us home. No, we come and we're comforted that even though we made those decisions, now we're new and now we've got new things that he's going to do for us. Now your masterpieces created anew in Jesus to do the great things that he planned for you long ago. And also when the Holy Spirit is in you, Holy Spirit in us gives us encouragement. He comforts us about our past, but he also encourages us about the future and where he's leading us. Romans 12, 8, the first part of that verse says this. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. It's not that difficult. If he's given you a gift of encouragement, then be encouraged to others. And oh, by the way, if you've been given a gift, there must be a giver of that gift. The Holy Spirit gives gifts. And we're not going to get into a whole lot of that today. I'll leave that for, to Rick for a later time. But he's given us gifts that he wants us to use. Also, go back to Acts 9.31 in the NLT, a different version, a different translation. It says, the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Remember, the Holy Spirit is a person, but the Holy Spirit has a function, and he is always pointing people to Jesus, and Jesus glorifies the Father, and he wants to use us to continue to bring more and more people because the Father's heart is that we would all be saved. So the Holy Spirit comforts us, the Holy Spirit encourages us, the Holy Spirit in us gives us strength, gives us strength out of that comfort, out of that encouragement. And now as we're moving, he gives us strength. Ephesians 3, verse 16 says, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, don't miss that, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. When God calls you to mission, calls you to do things, he does it with his spirit that has unlimited resources. And that is available to you, each and every one of you. So what does this look like to be comforted and encouraged and strengthened? I, um, I was baptized at this church in 2001, July of 2001. Uh, in March, April of 2004, my family went into business with another family. And if I'm being honest with you, I, I asked that the Lord would use that company to kind of be a mission field, if you will. But I think what I asked was a little bit more fervor 
and a little more desire is that God would use this business to build my kingdom. Yeah, I was interested in God's kingdom, but I was more interested in my kingdom. And so you can imagine a few months later when I'm going to a football game of one of my younger brothers, a woman comes up to me who I do not know, places her hand on my shoulder. My mom did know her, so it's not like totally weird, but it was still pretty weird. She puts her hand on my shoulder and says, you're going to be a minister someday. I've got a pretty good poker face, but I don't know that I could keep the color from draining from my face. And internally, I'm thinking, lady, you need to get your hand off of me, first of all. And second of all, why in the world would you tell me that? That's just ridiculous. And don't come at me with, so God said or God told me or whatever. That's just, that's about the most ridiculous thing that I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) Here I am on staff at this church as a minister. Oh, no. On November 1st of 2012, I joined this staff, and eight years after it was prophesied over me, another gift, my life is completely different. And when I was in process and trying to determine, Lord, is this, is, what, is this what you're really doing in my life? Is this what you're calling me to do? And I was thinking about all the mistakes in my life and all the, all the skeletons that were in my closet and all the poor decisions that I have made. The Holy Spirit came and comforted me and goes, remember, you are now my adopted son. You are now an heir to the throne. You are now someone new. And when I thought about, well, then as a minister, what all is that going to mean? And what am I going to do? And what all is that going to look like? And I don't, man, I, I don't know. He encouraged me and he reminded me that, yes, I'm going to be with you. It's going to be okay. You know, by the way, I have unlimited resources. And there's an inner strength that still I have to look back on. I still, I'm reminded that the Holy Spirit's been with me the whole time. Even though the Father is on the throne, even though Jesus is sitting next to him, the Holy Spirit lives inside of me and there's an intimacy and a dependence that's growing. And I'm reminded that he's never, ever left me. And it oh, takes me to places that freak me out sometimes. <laughs> but we don't do it alone. Ever. So if he comforts us, he encourages us, he strengthens us, then what does it look like practically? Well, we got to ask. We start with asking. When we became business owners, I did ask him, would you make that business our mission field? You ask. Luke 11, 9 through 13, listen to this. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father, you ready? Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Church, are we a people that ask for the Holy Spirit? For a majority of my life, I have not been. And in fact, for a majority of my life, I would read that scripture and go, how does the Lord want to bless me materialistically? How does he want to bless me with a, with a wife, with, 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 with the career, uh, with a better fastball? You know, I was, always, I was looking for something. And what he wants to give me is more of his spirit. 
And so after we ask, guess what? So we ask, now we've got to be ready to act. We've asked, so now let's get ready to act. Acts 1.8 says the following. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Witnesses is an action. You are going, you are telling, you've received power, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We ask, and then we get ready to act. And then, out of that action, because the one in us has unlimited resources, oh, church, it's okay to expect. You expect him to move. You expect eternity to be different. You expect heaven to come to earth. Philippians 1, 19 through 20, Paul's writing from prison, and as he's writing to this church in Philippi, and it says, For I know that as you pray for me, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. Church, I believe that as we pursue the Spirit and we ask and we act and we expect that he will empower us and that we will be bold and that people will notice what's going on and that his church will grow and that eternity will be different and that heaven will be brought to earth. So what does that look like? So go back to construction days. And I was on a construction site. That's one of the things that our, our company did. And I was meeting with a job super. And if we have any construction job supers in the house, let me just say y'all are some colorful folks, all right? Colorful language, colorful lot of things, all right? I love this guy. His name was John. And so I'm talking to John and just kind of hitting it off. John actually came over to this country on a, on a swimming scholarship from South Africa. Uh, he competed against Mark Spitz in college. So for you young guys, you know, that's the Michael Phelps of his day. And so uh, just, a, just a cool guy. And I'm leaving the job site one day. I'm driving down the road, and I feel like the Lord told me that I needed to call him and invite him to lunch. Oh, you hear, you, I think the Lord told me. That's, that's a disconnect sometimes for folks, right? Like, what does that mean? Like, like, is there some special ringtone, you know, that comes? God's calling, right? Or, or you have to listen to KLTY or, or Air One, and there's going to be a song that's interrupted, and all of a sudden the Lord's going to speak to you through that. I'm not saying that he can't. It's never happened to me. But when I use language like I feel like the Lord told me, it's because there's this thought that I have that's not my own, and it's not of me. And it always points to Jesus. And it always brings glory to the Father. And there's just different thoughts that I have that I know that I'm not that good. And they don't leave. And he's persistent. And he's saying, call this guy. Call this guy. And I'm going, Lord, he's a customer. If I call him and that doesn't go well, I'm not going to get his business anymore. And that's going to have a negative impact on this company that I said, hey, I want it to be your mission field. We can't be messing. And he goes, really? So your bottom line's more important than his soul? I was like, ooh, that's not fair. He said, it may not be fair, but it's true. So I called him. He answers the phone. I'm talking to him. And now I got, you know, how do you turn that conversation, right? You know, calling the customer and going, hey, by the way, I need to take you, you know. And I'm, I'm chickening out. And all of a sudden, I don't even know how, John goes, hey, by the way, back in, when I was a young kid, there were some missionaries that came over from America. And my mom met him. And because of that, she's a follower of Jesus now. And I was like, Lord, you're so good. 
your resources are unlimited. You just had him turn the conversation. I don't even have to do it. That's pretty cool. And so I said, hey, John, what about you? What about your relationship with Jesus? And he goes, oh, Dave. He goes, I blew that a long time ago. I'm divorced a couple of times. I like to drink my beer and da-da-da-da-da and starts laying, in, you know, laying out all these things. And I said, hey, John, what if in spite of that, God still loves you and Jesus came to rescue you? Would that be good news? And he's like, that'd be incredible. And I said, can I take you to lunch Wednesday and tell you about that? He's like, you buying? I said, yeah. He goes, all right, then I'll go. But you know what? When I went to that lunch, I expected that John's heart was already going to be softened for the gospel. And the reality is, is that today he's a brother in Christ and he was baptized at this church. I sent him a text last week and just said, happy early Thanksgiving. It was on Wednesday. I said, from happy clappy. He calls me happy clappy because the way I worship and clap and raise my hands and stuff. So he gives me a hard time. And I said, love you, John. And he texted back. Oh, I forgot to tell you this. This makes this even better. When I got off the phone, when I asked him to lunch, he said, hey, Dave, you're getting off the phone. because, but why did you call? And I'm like, well, I told you. I called because I'm supposed to ask you to lunch. He goes, that's the only reason you called? I go, well, I'm supposed to talk to you about Jesus. He's like, that's the only reason? I said, yeah. And he goes, gee, Dave, you're really weird. (laughs) I said, yeah, you're not the first person to say that, and you're probably not going to be the last. But then I get a text from him on Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, that says, great to hear from you. We'll always be thankful of your teachings and guidance. Love you too, mate. You see, John is now a brother in Christ, and we will get to spend eternity with him. And I'm convinced that I'm going to get to raise him. You can clap for that. I'm convinced that I'll get to race him in heaven in a swim meet. I ain't wearing a Speedo, though. I can promise you that, all right? <laughs> you see, when we act, when we ask, when we act, and we expect, things change. Check out this picture on the screen. This is my office. Right after the women's conference. Full of balloons that I won't embarrass the people that did it. You know, these three young student ministers named Bailey <laughs> Plake, Alexandra McCauley, and Natalie Howard. I would not embarrass them publicly like that. And I haven't gotten them back yet, but I will. But as I tried to get into my office, I was impeded because those balloons were full. Because those balloons were in my office and they were full, it was hard for me to get in and it slowed me down. And in fact, when I did finally make it in, and you see this picture, that big old head in the middle, I can't do what it is that I wanted to do when I got in there because I'm now surrounded by a bunch of balloons that are full of air and they're keeping me from doing what it is that I intended to do when I got in there. Church, if we are going to become a church that converges with theology and and the charismatic and the missional and now we are living lives and we are full of God's spirit, all of a sudden now we are surrounding the enemy and his minions and we are becoming obstacles that are getting in the way of the things that they are trying to do to bring even more brokenness to this world. And we now decide that we're going to live lives that we're going to say, the spirit that lives inside of me is greater than the spirit that is in the world and that I have decided that I'm not going to get drunk on wine, but instead I'm going to be filled with the spirit. Then everything changes. And not only eternity, 
But now eternity has an opportunity to be able to come here now. And out of that filter, we turn to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and all of a sudden we read Jesus' words that said, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. But Jesus, you left. You're not here anymore. But he goes on to say, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. But Jesus, you've left. You called us to be disciples who make disciples, but then you left. But he goes on to say, but be sure of this. I am with you always because his spirit is here. Different, but the same. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He will never leave us. And as he comes and invades our lives and transforms us more and more into the likeness of Jesus, we have an opportunity to go into this world, to go into our families, to go into our businesses, to go into our schools. Sometimes it's to go across oceans. Sometimes it's to go across streets. But if we're going to be a church that's going to make a difference for eternity, then we've got to be a church that says as individuals, we want to pursue the relationship with God that is available to us. And that is a relationship with the Father. That is a relationship with the Son. And that is also a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And it is from that, oh, that you'll do some things that folks will call you weird. And you'll do some things that will put you in uncomfortable situations but it's so worth it. Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. We've got two of those letters in Scripture. We know that he actually wrote about five. Second Corinthians was the last one that he wrote. And after all these letters to this church that was jacked up, he ended it with this verse. Second Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In other words, as you love God with all your mind, soul, heart, and strength, it means that you're loving the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we go back to that diagram that we had earlier, that we're continuing to live in the convergence of all three, dependent upon them. Rick actually said the hope of the world is a missional church, and the sign of the missional church is that it's dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And in the kingdom of God, the extraordinary ought to become ordinary. And I don't know about you, but I love me some extraordinary. And I want to see more and more and more of that. And the way that we become that church is that we also commit to doing that as individuals. Amen? Amen. Amen. Will you bow your heads with me, please? Oh, dear Heavenly Father. Lord, we love you. Thank you. That scripture says that let's make man in our image. Our image. Lord, thank you for coming and living inside of us. Thank you for wanting to have an intimate relationship with us. As the Father, as the the Holy Spirit. Lord, may we be reminded this morning that the Holy Spirit is a person. Not a force. 
This ain't some Star Wars deal that we say the force be with you. This is a person. This is God. And Lord, I believe that when we begin to not see the Spirit as a force, but we begin to know Him as a person, we stop saying, I want more of the Spirit, and we start saying, I want to give more of myself to Him, the Holy Spirit. Lord, may we be that church. May we be those individuals. Thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for that gift. We love you. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.